This sermon was recorded at Christ Church, Jerusalem. Blessed by our teaching? Consider saying thank you with a financial gift at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Our worship takes a slight uh, change where instead of us talking to the Lord through praying and singing, the Lord speaks to us through His Word and through the preaching of the Word. So, brothers and sisters, let's open our hearts and our ears to hear what our King has to say to us this morning. The first reading this morning is taken from the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verses 2 through 10. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her, for like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from Psalm 85. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. Surely his salvation is near those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. 
Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel passage is from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 11. Uh, another very familiar passage. It's a tradition that we stand when we hear the good news of the king, particularly when he's teaching us. Friends, the, the good news according to Luke. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Now I know that our brother John told us to turn our cell phones off, but I'm going to put mine on so I can check the time. That's for your protection. Because once I get to about 66 minutes, if I haven't figured out how to get to the point. <gasps> okay, so here we go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, may they be acceptable to you in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <clears throat> by way of introduction... We are in lectionary uh, reading C. For those that are not familiar with the lectionary, it's a three-year cycle of reading the Bible. It's something that we have inherited from the synagogue that we are still doing today, 2,000 years later. And so as part of our reading cycle, we're reading through the, the um, Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're in chapter 11. Now, the Gospels 
are finely crafted texts. They're not like they're not like another genre. You wouldn't call it history. You wouldn't call it fantasy. You wouldn't. There's no, they're the gospels, and they're all different. You see, there are lots and lots of stories about Jesus to include, and each author has selected which ones he wants. He hasn't chosen all of them. In fact, they even tell you, we're not saying everything. And about this time, that's where you go, what? How dare you? I mean, what are you leaving out? But they say it's enough. And then they put it in an order. And they, and they deliberately put the, their stories. They're not chronological in the way we understand it. So in the Gospel of John, you've got the whipping in the temple. That's, that's in chapter 2. But in Matthew, it's right at the end. Because each one is trying to say, look, this is a, the type of Jesus you need to hear about right now. And in Luke chapter 9, Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. And then you get 10 chapters from 9 till 19. 10 chapters of Jesus taking this trip from the Galilee down south. And in that 10 chapters is a wealth of teaching and vibrant material. And a lot of it is unique to Luke, which you then start to think, how did he get that information when the other guys didn't? Now, as we heard from uh, last week's uh, sermon, we often think that Luke's a Gentile. Anyone here think Luke's a Gentile? None of you. Wow, you must all be Greek Orthodox. Because <laughs> the traditional uh, uh, line that, he, that Luke's a Gentile is, uh, actually comes from the church fathers, and they just made that up. Okay? They, they're just like, we just need one goy to write the Bible, please. Okay? So they tacked him on there. Whereas the Orthodox, you know, the 400 million Christians that we usually don't talk to, because as Protestants, because <laughs> as Protestants, we usually only talk to Catholics, and the dialogue normally goes like this: "You're wrong. No, you're wrong. Well, your Pope's the Antichrist. Well, your Martin Luther's the Antichrist. Everyone's the Antichrist except the Antichrist. But by the end, he ends up being a really good guy. Okay? But we tended to have ignored." These, this, these 400 million other Christians called the Orthodox, and they've been here since Jesus. They never left. So they're actually holding on to a lot of Jewish traditions. And they will swear to you that Luke is one of Jesus' 70 disciples. Right? They will have the tradition. They'll say, look, he comes from Antioch. He's a Hellenized Jew, just like Paul. He's come to Jerusalem to study. He knows really good Greek. That's why his Greek's really good. He knows, he knows Hebrew. He knows Aramaic. He knows the land of Israel because he gets all of his geography right. And he's the only gospel that actually calls the Sea of Galilee a limne, which means sweet water. Oddly enough, the other gospels call it a thalassar, which is brackish water which anybody who's been to the Galilee knows it's not brackish. It's sweet. Anyway, how does he know about Mary? How does he know all the early birth child stories? How does he know this? Probably because he was there. So we got another little eyewitness account here. Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem, and we have a teaching on prayer. 
And so as part of our lectionary reading, today we will study prayer. What is it? How does it work? What sh how should we pray? Should I just say these six sentences or can I pray something else? What is prayer? And in the other readings, you have uh, a lot of theology. Let's remember that prayer is theology. The way you think is the way you pray. If all of your prayers, or if all of my prayers are, Dear Lord, please give me a Tesla. I want to save the environment. <laughs> Where's my heart? Who needs to listen to my prayers? Me. <laughs> okay. And so, prayers are that's, that's why the Psalms are actually very, very valuable for us as believers. If you really, really want to know how Jewish people think and feel, read the Psalms. Because that was a beautiful Psalm we read today. God is my salvation. He is faithful. He is righteous. He is merciful. He is going to save. Nowhere in this psalm does it say, I got saved because of the blood of a bull. Right? And that would have been on the lips of everybody praying in the temple, including Jesus. That's your real theology. So don't take some theology and superimpose it on the Bible. Let the Bible speak to us. So, God speaks. And he does speak through, through, through prayer. Prayer is a dialogue. That is true. But it is not the only way God speaks. He also speaks through his word. He speaks through dreams. He speaks through visions. He speaks through prophets. He's got lots of different ways. We, we've got limited ways to talk back. I don't think any of us have ever written a Bible and said, Here you go, mate. Or said, I've got a vision for you. Yeah, actually, some of us probably have, but it's not really what you're supposed to say. And sometimes when the Lord speaks, it's not always what you want to hear. Have a, have a look at our poor prophet Hosea at the start. I mean, I will probably guarantee you, choosing to marry a prostitute probably wasn't high on his list. You know, or in today's vernacular, Mum, I'm thinking of marrying a porn star. Oh, great. I can't wait to introduce her to all my friends at church. Okay? And what do you do? Let me tell you. Please don't. The Lord spoke to Hosea, and he listened. And he immediately went out to obey. He didn't go, oh, my gosh, did I hear that right? I'm not 100% sure that's actually from the Lord. I think I'll get my friends together and we'll have a prayer session and we'll do like a golden fleece thing. No, that's Greek mythology. We'll do a fleece thing. That's a Gideon thing. Um, nope, he immediately obeys. And getting a horrible word like that, go marry a prostitute, can't have been fun. Look at verse 10 of that uh, word from the Lord where God says, I will bring Israel back and they will once again be called children of the living God. It's actually quite beautiful. But anyway, let's look at our passage on um, prayer here from Jesus. So Jesus is praying in a certain place, verse 1. doesn't actually say where, but he's on his own. He's got disciples, but he's not praying with them. Um, why would he be doing such a thing? Often you find Jesus enjoying solitude prayer. 
And we need to remember that in the context of the Gospels, you prayed alone. You also prayed with groups of people. That's, that's also true. You prayed in synagogues. You, prayed, you actually prayed in the marketplaces. You prayed in the temple. You prayed everywhere. But you also found quiet time for prayer. And you read the Bible in public. Now, why would you read the Bible in public? Because you didn't have a Bible. Right? You didn't have a personal thing like we have now. So to, in 2,000 years after Jesus, we've, we've often switched it around. We read the Bible in private, and we pray in public. But uh, at the time of Jesus, you, you, did it, you, did it, you got it together that you, you prayed quietly. And when you read the Bible, you did it in groups. And that way you could check each other. Because like if I got up to read the Bible and I started to miss a few words, then you could tell me, oh, wait, Aaron, that's, um, you, 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 you're interpreting that wrong. You've got a good check and a balance. Uh, Jesus' disciples say, can you teach us to pray? Every rabbi has got their disciples, and they're all teaching them how to pray. How should we pray? And here we go. And he gives them this thing called the Lord's Prayer. There are two versions of this prayer. There's one in Luke here, and there's one in Matthew 6. And the Matthew one is a bit longer, and the Luke one's a bit shorter. And so you get your commentaries out, and they'll say, well, maybe this is the short version, and then um, Matthew borrows it, and then sort of adds a bit. Okay? Um, fine. I actually think you've got two language versions of the prayer. This one's in Aramaic. Because the context of Matthew and the context of Luke are actually two different places. In Luke, we're traveling towards Jerusalem. We're at the end of the ministry, which is kind of interesting. You're at the end of the ministry and you haven't taught your disciples to pray yet? My gosh, what have you been teaching them? In Matthew, it's, uh, you're in the Galilee. And Matthew starts in very classic Jewish fashion. Avenu Bahashamayim, our Father in heaven. That is a classic Jewish prayer of the Second Temple period. It is not brand new. Right? Deuteronomy is the first time you actually get God calling himself a father. I am your father. Luke, it's actually in Deuteronomy. And, uh, and also he's a king there. In here, it starts off with Abba. Father, Abba, which is, of course, in, is Aramaic. So this looks like it's, an, it's the outdoor short version of a, of, a, of a formula. And all Jewish prayers describe the relationship that you have with your, your God, which also includes this intimate relationship as Father. It always describes His holiness. The Lord is holy. And you get that from the best book in the Bible, which is, of course, Leviticus. No, seriously, it really is. Right? Genesis tells you that God is a creator and that he begins to work with a family. Exodus tells you that he's a redeemer and that he's a lawgiver. But only Leviticus tells you he's holy. 
And actually, all the good laws, which we all like to quote, they're all in Leviticus. Because when God gets a farmer together and he says, Mr. Farmer, um, I'm glad you have a farm and, and, and I want you to harvest your field. But when you, when you do harvest your field, you keep the edges and you keep them for the poor. I want you to let somebody else come onto your property and take your stuff. Because I love them just as much as I love you. And that sort of holiness you only find in Leviticus. Those sort of laws. They're absolutely brilliant. That shows you the heart of God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19. So there's this reflection that we have to be holy because God is holy is joined in this prayer. Every Jewish prayer. Father, you're our king and you're holy. Your kingdom come. Yes, that's uh, definitely there. In the short version, that's just it. The Lord, may the Lord's rule and reign be active in my life to this day. In Matthew, it's expanded a little to say, how does God's kingdom, how does his rule and reign actually work in practice? And in Matthew, it's uh, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven, we've all learned that one off, off, the, off the bat. But if you actually have a Bible like the King James or the New King James, you'll discover that the as it is is in italics. Now, for those that have ever, ever read the four pages at the front of their Bible, which none of us ever did, except I did as a kid when the sermons were really boring, then we discover that uh, words in italics are not in the actual text. Somebody put it in there. And um, it reads this. Anyone know Greek? It says, may your will be done on earth. Chi, heaven. Does anyone know the, what the word chi is in Greek? It's the most common word in the New Testament. And, it, and, it, and it's always translated as and. May your will be done on earth and in heaven. Except that our translators, because remember, translation is interpretation. Our translators, at the time of translating the Bible into English, we believed that heaven was perfect. Does everyone here believe heaven's perfect? If that's true, why does God have to make a new one? I shall make a new heavens and a new earth. I get the whole new earth bit. But if heaven's perfect, why are we making a new one? This is perfect. I can do better. That's not the definition of perfect. Where did the rebellion against God start? Heaven. So it's stained. It's corrupted. And in Matthew, in sorry, Revelation, it says there was a war in heaven. It's known the taste of battle. And who used to reside in heaven? The devil. It's stained with sin. So yeah, we have to make a new one. And in Jewish prayer, this is, this is classic Jewish prayer, by the way. In Jewish prayer, we say to any of my Hebrew speakers around, Osei shalom bimromav. What does that mean? May there be peace in heaven. Why? Because we want to say, we will do your will, Lord. And angels, do you mind stopping rebellion 
and, and just obey like the rest of us, that would be great things. And so this is reflected in the, in the Lord's Prayer as well. May your will be done here and in heaven. And then the two will eventually become one. And uh, forgiveness is linked to what? always find this very interesting when we study the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive me because of the shed blood of Jesus. Nope. I mean, that's there too, but in another verse. And so here, forgiveness we've learned all of a sudden is part of our lifestyle. And the way God deals with us is the way that we deal with other people. That doesn't mean that God's not merciful. That doesn't mean that God's not going to forgive us. But the prayer that our master is teaching us to behave is a very practical prayer. Now we, in a lot of our discussions about this 2,000 years after the fact, um, we say, is this a prayer that we pray literally? Which many denominations do. And they'll always pray the Matthew one, by the way. No one ever prays the Luke one version. <laughs> okay, we always like to get the, the big one. Uh, or is it a model prayer? In which case, you don't actually pray these words, you kind of make up your own. Okay, here's a question for you. What do you think you can say better than Jesus? Give me my daily bread, Lord. Please give me everything I need. You know, not the things that I want, just the things that I need, because you actually know what I need. Uh, I also know what I want, but you can soften that heart, Lord. And we end up talking for like 10 minutes. We could have said it in one sentence. Hmm. In context, Matthew 6, when Jesus gives his teaching of the Lord's Prayer, he actually says in Matthew 6, when you pray, don't babble. Don't do long prayers. Keep it short. Why does he say that? He actually gives you the reason. He says, because I already know what you're going to say. I mean, this is actually the, the, the love of God. When God made the heavens and the earth, you've heard me probably ask you this question before, where was God living before he made heaven? He didn't make heaven as a place to live. Like, it's not like he made heaven and then went, oh, thank God, now I've got somewhere to sit down. You know, why didn't I do that before? I was floating around out here and it's been really boring. No, the first thing God did when he made heaven was leave it. Where did he go? To be with Adam. He wandered around the garden every afternoon and said, Adam, tell me about your day. I happen to already know, but I really like the sound of your voice. Isn't that nice? So speak to me, Aaron. Tell me what you need. Tell me what you think you need. Tell me your, your dreams and your desires and your struggles. I already know, but I just like hearing your heart. It's a wonderful, wonderful attribute of the Lord. Fellowship. It's a nice one. And so here we are in our prayer. It's a model prayer. It's okay whether you say these words or whether we, we go on in a, in a larger, uh, larger, more sentences. But seriously, let's take Jesus' teaching to heart. Let's keep our prayers short, sharp, and to the point.
And then in Luke's portion, Jesus doesn't say keep it short and sharp. He says be persistent. He says don't give up and, um, and, and be audacious. Ask God. That's an incredible thought right there. Lord God, heavenly, heavenly King, you rule the universe. What is man that you are mindful of him? Like, who am I? And the Lord says, I love you to bits. Tell me what you need. And we're allowed to. Persistent. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Where does that come from? That actually comes from Deuteronomy. Right? We have this thing called the New Testament. There's not actually a lot new in it. Except when Jesus says, now I teach you something new. In Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, God says, when you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. That is a very nice passage. And that is happening today. So we had a uh, Jewish believer work in our museum. And uh, he used to be a diamond merchant. And um, so he had lots of money. He was very secular. And then his uh, girlfriend started uh, having promiscuous relationships with another man. Obviously, he heard from the Lord to do that. And uh, he was very upset, as you could, see, could think. And he ran away to India to find the truth, like a lot of Israelis do. And he went from ashram to ashram, guru to guru. You know, he grew out a big beard and he walked around in a loincloth and he probably took a large amount of drugs. But nothing satisfied him. And he, when he was completely empty, he prayed, Lord, help. And that's when God showed up. And would you believe when he walked outside of the house that he was staying, guess what was on the floor in Hebrew? A New Testament. Who knew? But uh, it's true. When you seek, you will find. When you ask, it will be given. But what is given? I hear you ask. Guess what? I still don't have a Tesla. So obviously, this prayer is not going the way I always thought it might go. How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit out of all the things we want? What should we want? What should we desire about a more better intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father? He knows how to give good things. He knows all the things that we actually truly need. And the Holy Spirit is one of them. Now, in context, that's an interesting sentence. Give me the Holy Spirit. Um, haven't you already got it? Everyone here been baptized? Everyone got the Holy Spirit? Yep. So, seems a bit of a superfluous prayer now, doesn't it? Except... This is where you got to put your Jewish hats on, or kippers on, whichever. And let's remember that, let's put the Bible back in its context, 2,000 years ago. What did Jewish disciples hear? After Jesus rose from the dead, in Acts chapter 1, he's got his disciples together and he says, Now, wait in Jerusalem and you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And at this point, you know, Nathaniel sticks his hand up and goes, uh, Lord, you gave us the Spirit in John 20, so we're okay, thanks. Anything else you want to give us? 
He gave them the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. Receive the Holy Spirit. So what are they waiting for then in Acts chapter 1? Because if you heard the word baptism and you're a Jewish disciple, what do you think of? Mikveh. You go into the water. How often do you get baptized in Jewish tradition? Every day. How often are you going to get baptized and full of the Holy Spirit? Just once in your life? Boring. Who wants to get full of the Holy Spirit every day? I do. Who wants to be saturated up to the point where it's, it's the overwhelming love and power and authority of God rests upon you and fills you up and takes out the sin and throws it away and heals you and then expands the kingdom and fights back the darkness? I'd like that. And so the Lord says here, ask. And the Lord who knows the best gifts to give, which is the Holy Spirit, that's the one you'll get. Full up, overflowing to beat back the enemy. My final comment. Prayer in Hebrew is reflexive. It's lehit palel, which means it's something you do to yourself. So hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm praying to the Lord. I'm not praying to me. Well, that is true. But God already knows what you're going to say. It's not what goes in your mouth that's important. It's what comes out. That's why liturgies, these things that we pray, those prayers are really, really finely crafted. Somebody sat down and went, oh my gosh, we're going to talk to God. What possible words are we going to use? So the best thing they chose was scripture. 80% of all liturgy is simply quoting God's words back to him. What better word would you say to the risen king? And so, who really needs to hear our prayers? Me. I need to hear what's coming out of my mouth. I need to know what's in my heart. And then I need to have the grace to let the Lord mold me and shape me so that my heart is like his, so that my prayers actually reflect his thoughts and desires and dreams and passions and future. And prayer is a dialogue. Yes, the Lord has multiple ways to speak to me, but I've only got limited ways to talk back, so I should pray. There's actually no command in the Bible to pray. There's a lot of other commands, but the command to pray isn't there. But they've been doing it ever since Genesis 4.26. It says, in the days of Enoch, Enosh, people begin to call on the name of the Lord. Things happen in the Bible. It doesn't tell you how, that, how they happen. Uh, Cain and Abel bring sacrifices. Who told them to do that? Especially Abel. He brings an animal. Couldn't even eat them at the time. Not until Noah. What does he think he's doing? There's, there's Daniel prays. So by the time you get to, the, to Jesus, prayer is happening three times a day. They've, they've uh, thought about their prayers very much. They've, they've worked out that God is a king, but he's also personal, like a father. God is incredibly faithful, but he's also very forgiving. God can provide absolutely everything, but the best thing we want uh, is the things he's going to give us, particularly the Holy Spirit. And it's, uh, it's conditional how we relate to each other. Prayer is also a community event, not just something we do individually. So we want the Lord to hear from us, so we should have the grace to hear from him. 
And when we hear, we need to put it into practice. Because the Hebrew word hear, shma, is also the biblical word for obey. Blessed is he who hears my words and obeys them. And so, brothers and sisters, whatever happens today, may the Lord hear your prayers. May you hear his voice. And when you do, may you have the grace, the mercy, the spirit, and the courage to put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.